Never a bad moment to learn Torah, right? It's always, it's always a good time. All right, we're up to Parsha Tzav, the second Parsha in Sefer Vayikra, in the third book of the Torah. Parsha Tzav begins with Perek Vav, the sixth chapter, uh, Pasuk Aleph, the first Pasuk. So here we go. Hashem spoke to Moshe to say. Now, what is Moshe to say? He's to say the following. Tzav es Aaron. Aaron should be tzivoy. Aaron should be commanded. Now, the word tzav means commandment. It also, at times, refers to a relationship. Refers to a connection. When you're commanded in something, it shows a connection. We'll focus on this in just a moment. Moshe is supposed to command Aaron. Interesting, it doesn't say speak to Aaron or say to Aaron. That's usually what it'll say. Hashem tells Moshe to tell Aaron. Hashem tells Moshe, command Aaron. You tell somebody to do something that they're supposed to do. They don't do it. The second time, it's there. It's like if my parents ask me to do something... Say, Menachem, do that. If I don't do it, I became Menachem Mendel. If they said both my names, that's it. That was, that was trouble. Then I knew it's like, it's serious. Tzav means it's serious. It's serious. We're not messing around. Tzav es Aaron. Tell Aaron we're not messing around. Interesting. We don't find this, that Maisha is being tough on his older brother. Here, command. Ve'ezbanov and his children, Lamar, to say... So it's interesting, he's commanding them, but he's saying it in a nice way. The word emar is to say, daber is more of a uh, bold speech. So you're commanding them firmly, but softly. Zos Torah Sa'ola, this is the law that you're supposed to do by bringing the Ola sacrifice. He Ha'ola, this is this Ola sacrifice, the word Ola is like from, the, from Aliyah, or from Aliyah going up to Israel. The Ola carbon was called an Ola because it, the whole thing was burnt up to Hashem. Besides for the skins, some sacrifices, as we learned last week, were divided. Some The Kohen got some meat, the person who brought it got some meat, the Mizbeach got some meat. All of it was completely uh, burnt up to Hashem. Al-Mokta, al-Mizbeach, kola, layla, ad-boker. It would remain on the flame the entire night until the morning. The Isha Mizbeach, tukad bo, and the flame of the Mizbeach, tukad bo, Remained lit upon him. All right, I don't know if we're going to get past this pasuk. It's loaded. Let's get going. Let's start with the first word, and that first word is tzav to command. So Rashi says, "Why is Hashem? Why is Hashem telling Moshe command Aaron?" Says Rashi, "Ain tzav The word command means to work with alacrity. It's a sense of urgency, firmness. Don't procrastinate. It's both now and for later generations. There's something about this carbon ola that the Aaron and his descendants need to know this is a carbon with priority. Okay? Why? Why? Every sacrifice. Listen to this, it's wild. Amar Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon says, You know why over here by this specific sacrifice the Torah wants Moshe to command? Because there's a loss of money to the Kohan. Now, I have a couple questions on this. Number one, number one is the, I would say the one that's entering our mind, which is, I mean, we're talking about Aaron, talking about the Kohanim. They're going to do their job, number one. Number two is, where's the loss of money? They don't pay for the sacrifices. They're not paying for it. 
So I, I get it if it's harder for me to do something when it costs money than if it doesn't cost money. Okay? You get you, somebody, uh, you do me a favor, right? If you, if you want me to do you a favor that costs money, that is, um, if you want me to do you a favor that costs money, sorry about that. I uh, didn't realize the wasn't on video. Okay. Um, so it, it might be a little you might might be a little more hesitant to do it. But the Gahanam it's, it's not costing them any money. So let's answer the first question first. The first and then we'll get into a uh, very important conversation. The first this I'm sorry, let's answer the second question first. The second question about where's the loss of money is that Remember, the Kohanim had no parnasa other than their work in the Beis HaMikdash. That's what they did. There was no other way for them to earn money. They didn't have real estate. When we entered the land of Eretz Yisrael, the tribal levy did not get land, and the Kohanim are part of the tribal levy. So they subsided over the priestly gifts. That was their payment. They would work in the Beis HaMikdash, and they would study Torah the rest of the time, and they would get the meat, and, the, and that's how they ate. And uh, and now every day they're going to be bringing Ola sacrifices where they have nothing to receive. That's called a loss. That's called a loss because this is this is their work. This is what they do. There's a concept. Want let, to let's focus on this for a little bit. And I'm not saying whether one's right or wrong. I I probably I'm not perfect in this. You have to be really self-aware of this. Maybe it's just the the way the the way the the family and the way my parents raised us. It's you have your livelihood, and anything that's outside of your livelihood, you don't charge for. It. You you just you do that. You get somebody's like, oh, I want to. You know, you help somebody carry packages, right? And like, oh, I want to, uh, you know, uh, I want to pay you. To... <laughs> it's not my parnasa. If it's your parnasa, it's your parnasa. That's how you make a living. You make a living helping people with packages, your parnasa. But otherwise, you don't need to charge for every speech you give. You don't need to be expecting money for every chesed that you do. And we learned this at a younger age. We learned this as kids. There are sometimes, there are certain chores that children do that you say, you know what, that chore's extra. It's not a family responsibility. Maybe I'll offer you uh, a few dollars to uh, watch your siblings for an extra amount of time or whatever it is. But most of the time, it's like you're part of the family. You just do it. I'm not paying you to, you know, to because you swept the floor. You're part of our family. I'm not paying you to make your bed. I'm not paying you to do it. There's certain certain responsibilities, certain things you do. The the cloth that that I was given over, you know, that my parents taught us like you have your. You have your livelihood and then everything else. You don't expect money for that. And if somebody asks for it and you're able to give it, you give it. You just give it. As long as it's not your livelihood. If it's your livelihood, there's no shame in having a livelihood. If I care, that's how Abraham wants it to be. But otherwise, not. The Kahanim here, this was their livelihood. You understand? This is what, this is, this is what, this was Avaida Sashem, but they had to live. So. When they brought the Karban Island, they didn't receive anything on that part. Because Baruch Hu tells Maisha to tell Aaron, you should know human nature is to be a little more angled towards things that will help your livelihood. That's, but that can't be like this with this. Can't be like this with the Karbanola. 
Rabbi, the carbon ola was all burned. Yeah, that's right. That's what ola means. It goes up. It was all given on the mizbech. The whole, the whole. Every yeah, it was cut up. There was a process, and they sprinkled right. the blood, and there was all the but yeah, all the meat was brought straight up on the mizbech. Normally, there's some left over for the for, for the kohanim. Correct, not correct. By not by this sacrifice, okay. and that's why specifically by this sacrifice, Rashi is pointing out to us why it's called a loss of money, which. The reason why we ask the question is the loss of money. They didn't pay for it. That's because it's not us. We're not going, we're not the kahanim doing the avodah. But if you put yourself into the the economy of Klal Yisrael at the time, this really was them doing work that was their parnasa, was their parnasa free of charge. It's kind of like you you know you're you're in your livelihood uh, advising people financially, a financial advisor. And every time you walk into shul, everybody's hocking you up, you know, about this and that. It's like, yeah, I'll send you the bill later, right? So now, if it's not your par- if it's your parnasa, it's not so nice for people to be walking over. Some people don't mind people yet, but you know, be sensitive about these things. Be sensitive. Don't try to don't just take advantage of somebody. If it's if it's not their livelihood and they know, fine, that's what friends do for each other. But something somebody's livelihood have to be sensitive to this. Maybe offer, and they might say, yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> that's fine, also. This was the livelihood of the Gehanim, and therefore HaKadosh Baruch Hu is telling Maisha, when you talk to Aaron and his children, it should be done with an expression of tzav, because I know human nature, God says. I know how I created people. I'm the manufacturer. I know, I know how people are made. And, and this, needs an, uh, this needs a stronger uh, expression. Now, what's, what, what's also unique about this word tzav is there's a Gemara that tells us a beautiful, beautiful idea which is gadol mitzvah va'osa mimisha eno mitzvah va'osa. It's greater to do something when we are commanded to do it than when we are not commanded to do it. Which doesn't really fall in line with how we would think. We would think if I do it on my own accord, I'm better off because I'm a nice person doing the right thing. Nobody asked me to do it. I'm doing it anyway. It does show good midos in that way. But the Gemara tells us. It's greater to be asked to do something or commanded than if you do it on your own. In what way is it greater? What's unique about that? So Taisvis on the Gemara says, it's greater because you've just taken hold of an opportunity to show a relationship. So if I want to do something good, I've done something good. The 613 commandments. A non-Jew is allowed to keep almost all of them. They can't do Shabbos, they can't do Mila, fine. But they can do almost all of them. Mm-hmm. So, you have a Jew doing mitzvahs, you have a non-Jew doing mitzvahs. Also, non-Jews doing a wonderful thing. If you're doing mitzvahs, you're living in a way, in, in a way in the world that you know Hashem wants people to live. There's always going to be a difference, though, whether a person ultimately becomes Jewish or not, in that either you are obligated now or not obligated now. And what's the difference? The difference is going to be that once I'm obligated... Once I'm asked and requested to live away and I do it, I've just shown a partnership. If I ask you to do something and you ask me to do something and I respond to that request, I'm not just doing it now, I'm actually connecting with you by doing it. You asked me to do it, even if it's something I would have done anyway. You say, do you mind picking up that piece of paper? Sure, I'll pick up the piece of paper and stick it right in the garbage or where do you want me to put it on the table? Did I just pick up a paper or did I just connect with you? I connected with you. That's what's greater about being Hashem commanding us to do something and that's the, the idea of zerizas. Tzivoy 
is being commanded to do something, and when, I, when I'm commanded and asked to do something and I do it, it not only offers me the chance to do it, it offers me a chance to be in a, another element of a relationship with Hashem. And to do it with zurizus, Rashi uses this word, it's lizaris. It's, it, there's like a little added force. There's a little added component of alacrity. Zerizos in Mesilas Yasharim is, is, the Mesilas Yasharim considers as one of the important categories of growth in, in Torah and, and growth to Hashem. And so many times in, in my life, it's, it's easier to remain mediocre and just allow things to be status quo um, without proactively trying to push our comfort zones. We naturally don't want to go there. We don't want to go outside of our, our comfort zones to a point where we're learning Dafyomi and Bez Hashem, we're going to have the merit um, with Hashem's help to finish Meseches Nazir today. Um, but uh, last, earlier this week, the Gemara has a fascinating situation where there was a servant, a servant who makes himself a Nazir. How do you handle that? Because he's forbidding haircuts, forbidding wine. And what if the owner wants him to not look disheveled? And what if the owner wants him drinking wine? Back then, specifically, wine was something that kept you strong in the way that it was, it was known to be a healthy drink. So can a servant make themselves a Nazir if it's going to impact their work for the boss? Interesting. Or can the boss say, I'm removing it? Or maybe the boss cannot remove it. Maybe the owner, I'm calling it the boss, but maybe the owner of the servant cannot remove the Naziris, but he could just tell the servant, you had no right to do that. I'm going to get you, uh, I don't care if you made yourself a Nazir, I'm allowed to tell you to violate your Naziris because you have no right to, to not work 60 minutes to the hour. You're obligated to be arrested to work for me. This is fascinating, fascinating Gemara. Which ulti- it's a Mishnah which ultimately led to the conversation of, and then what happens if the servant made themselves a Nazir and ran away. <laughs> so now they're not working for the owner anyway. So what does the owner prefer? Does the owner prefer that the servant is a Nazir? And because if he's a Nazir, now he's going to regret that he can't drink wine, so he'll want to come back so the owner can tell him to, to not drink wine. It gets into such fascinating psychology. And ultimately, here's what I want to bring out. The Gemara says in the name of Rameyer, Rameyer holds that a servant... Sorry, the other way. The owner, the master, prefers that the servant be forbidden to drink wine, meaning has a valid Naziris, so that the servant will be uncomfortable and come back. And therefore, if that's what the owner wants, he's got the rights. And you read this Gemara and you're like, one second, pause. Say it again. You have a servant that ran away, he's at. He's hanging out, he's at the beach, he's gone. He's not working, he's done. He's like, you know what, here's the problem. Um, I made myself a Nazir. I can't drink wine for 30 days. Hmm. I might as well go back for six more years because I can't drink wine for 30 days. It's like, like, Mayor, seriously? Like, that's what people are going to think? And... What the Mefarshim get into, what the commentators and the Bali Musr get into is that is Rameer just explaining to us human psychology. People will do that. We'll do that to ourselves. Maybe in, we'll, we'll think it's silly in this setting, but we'll say, you know what? It's not worth a little bit of discomfort short term for long term freedom. 
people say it's not worth it for me to work on my Avedas Hashem or pull through something and push through something for the next week, month, till it got to leave. It's not worth it. I, what you could, what, what you could accomplish in your own life and your own happiness and your own thing for long term will give you. We just like, we're like, I'll do it then. You know, like, it's not now. Like, we prefer the short term over the, over the long term. And that is a, a very important psychology that Rav Meir is bringing out through that Gemara. And that's where the expression of Zrizus, that's why the Messiah Sishara says the, the, the Mida of Zrizus, of, of alacrity, of if you know something's right and you know you want to, and, and you want to grow in an area, and then to, to not allow the Yitzhahara to slow that down and to just forge ahead to, in, in, the, in the best way possible. That is, the, that's the Mida that is all learned out from Tzavas Aron Ve'ezbanov. It's this relationship as well as the command to do it with alacrity, not to, not to do it um, at, a, at a slower pace or haphazardly. Okay. Yeah, I have a question on, on Zoom. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Okay, so, so Hashem tells us about eat, eating kosher. Yeah. Okay. So a person passes by a trafe restaurant and then you smell that smell of trace. Mom is delicious, yeah. Mom is delicious. Yeah. So, do you get more close when you say, oh, it smells delicious, Yeah. but I can't eat it? Beautiful. Or I can't eat it because, because I'm not supposed to. So usually it'll be the former. Usually it'll be the former. Unless you know that you're the type of person that if you think about it in the latter way, that's the only way to protect yourself. Oh, okay. I'll, t- I'll tell you the way that I diet. <laughs> right? Sometimes I'm on the famous seafood diet. That's the famous one, right? You see food and eat it. Um, but, some, but sometimes, sometimes, the, the, you should know the way, we're all different psychologically. When I know that I need to become healthy, the way that my brain needs to diet is I look at foods and I make them not kosher. That's what I do. That's what, mamish what I do. I say the same way I have no taiva, I have no desire to walk, for me, to walk into, across the street into Diego's. I have no interest in walking in there. I never, and if my kids are in schnooks and there's a candy on the shelf and I say it's not kosher, they put it right back. That's the, uh, the funny story, whether it's true or not, but there was a, this Jewish person was in a Walmart and they saw an African-American family that did not see, could have African-American or Jewish, not common, but certainly possible. They did not look Jewish and the mother kept telling the kids, that's not kosher, put it back. They kept putting it back. She said, wow, I did, she went over, she said, Shalom Aleichem, you know, I didn't know, uh, you're Jewish, she says, I'm, I'm not Jewish, I work for a Jewish family. And every time the mother, the kids pick something, the mother says, not kosher, the kids put it back. So I do it with my kids too. Just that's it. You know, that's it. It's not kosher. Back out of here. You know, it's, it's back. You still, this, it how, this how this it works. The, the, it works. The way that I die, I'm, I'm yeah. being personal. I'm being candid with you. If I have to stay off certain foods for my health, I look at that food like it's not kosher. That's how I'm successful on a diet. It's the only way. It's not. Uh, I need to stay off of mayonnaise. I need to stay off of cheese. I need to stay off of white flour. I. I, I the, that's the only way for me to 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 not lead me to not health. That's 
that's how my personal. Other people are different. Other people cannot. It's not going to work for them, and they need to eat everything in smaller amounts. Other people know. You just have to know how you work. So that's how I'm going to respond to your situ- to the, okay. the story. Okay. If you walk up by a tray for restaurant, you can say it's delicious. Thank you, Hashem. You know, but since I'm dedicated to you, I'm not going to eat it. Halabai. But if you're the type of person that needs to just say, hey, yeah, I got nothing to do with that, in order to control yourselves, then that would be the appropriate thing to do as well. Yeah. There's a set time to do it. There's a set time. Yeah. So too, when we eat matzah, the difference between matzah and chumash, if you don't do a mitzvah quickly, That's right. then, then it can become chumash. That's right. It can, it, it Beautiful. Can change, right? Linda's, connecting it, uh, Linda's connecting it to Pesach. We have chumash and matzah. Chumash and matzah have the same exact letters. Think about it. Chumash, ches, mem, tzadi. Matzah, mem, tzadi, hey. The difference is a ches and a hey, which is a small piece of the letter. A ches is three connected. The hay is missing a, a little bit. And the difference between Chametz and Pesach could just be a few... Uh, uh, um, and Pesach, just a few seconds. A few seconds. You get over the 18-minute mark, and now it's uh, totally Chametz. What we're learning about on Pesach is mamish. One of, one of the ideas brought out through matzah is mamish, this idea, to not hesitate. And when Hashem told us to... To uh, leave Mitzrayim, it says we ate pichy puzzle. We ate in in great haste, and this was a mida. Beautiful, it's a great uh, uh, great connection over here. This was a mida that we needed to, uh, and was instilled in us as a people, as we were becoming a people. The the mida of not uh, not waiting around, getting it done. Yeah. So it's the shorish of mitzvah is tzav. Do it and do it uh, do it fast. Okay. Um, connected to this. Connected to this is there was a there was a young man who was close to the Chazonish, very close to the Chazonish. This young man didn't have parents, and the Chazonish and his wife they didn't have children, but they it took care of a lot of uh, a lot of people. And this young man became very close with the uh, Karelitzes. The Chazonish is, is that was the safer that he writes. So we know him as the Chazonish. His name was Rabavim Yishaya Karelitz. Um, and there was somebody who had an idea for uh, this young man who was close with the Chazonish for a shidduch. And the, the matchmaker said that this woman is would be very appropriate to meet with him because. She said, this, this woman said that she's prepared to live a life of, of uh, poverty and a life of difficulty so that her husband could be successful in Torah. So, and that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to study Torah and she said she's, she's willing to do that. And the Chazonish turned down the opportunity and the matchmaker came back. Eh, not happy. It's not happy. And when he was asked why, so the Chazonish explained that if she said that she's willing to suffer through life so that her husband could study Torah, she has no clue what Torah is. The, the, the fact that she said that is a problem. Right? I'm, I'm, suffer, I'm going to suffer. I'm willing to suffer. Right? You do it. You live life. You do what you got to do. And, and the Rabbanish line will... He does. Like, we're not... We're, you know, ultimately, we're going to make it. How? Whatever. We'll, we're going to make it. But to think that by, by connecting yourself to a Torah life that means a life of suffering, that, that's warped. 
the, the, a life connected to Torah is a life of, of gain. It's a life of joy. It's not a life of it's not a life of uh, of pain and suffering. And, and interestingly, a little bit later in the parsha in Parak Zion, Pasuk Yud Beis, chapter seven, uh, verse twelve, it says, "Imaltoda Yakrivenu." Let's say the sacrifice is being brought as a as a carbon toda, as a thanksgiving offering. So Rashi says, what, when would you bring a Thanksgiving offering? He says, Al nasalo. if there was a miracle that happened, Kagom, for example, Yarde Hayam, you traveled the ocean, that's a miracle. Nothing happened, your boat didn't sink, didn't capsize, whatever. You traveled the ocean. So you're in a predicament, call it like that. How do you know you're going to get across? You're a predicament. For Holchim Barius, you traveled through the desert, right? It was a long stretch where, without water. And you made it through. Baruch Hashem. Chavushi Beis Asurim. Somebody's in the house of captivity. V'chayla shenisrape. If you have a, a sick person that was healed. Shehim tzrichim lahaydais. They would bring a carbon toda. They would bring a thanksgiving offering. Uh, um, as it says, Yaidu l'ashem chastai. To praise Hashem for His kindness. V'nifla'aysav and His wonders l'fnei adam. To uh, His wonders to people. So... There was, there's a very, Hele uh, who was a Talmud of Mir. The Mir Yeshiva, there's a famous story about them, how during World War II, they moved from, they ended up being in Shanghai. They, they were in Shanghai, and a lot of tremendous tzaddikim uh, came out of the Mir Yeshiva during that era. One of the tzaddikim, his name was Rabbi Shlaima Sobel. Never really, you know, not like a well-known Rosh Yeshiva, whatever, he was a big tzaddik. He was a big tzaddik, he was a Talmud of the Mir, Rabbi Shlaima Sobel. And he had a he had a daughter, also who was a tzaddikas, and somebody wanted her to marry Rabbi Yisrael Margolis, um, who also apparently had been through Shanghai, and the Chassan's family wanted to check out this this uh, this Rivka Sobel. And part of what they checked out was the dowry. How much is the family going to put in? This was a very common, uh, very common expectation. So they asked Reb Shlomo Sobel what he's able to give as a dowry for his daughter. So he says, I feel so bad. My mother, I don't know if I have her book here. Do I have her book here? My brother put together a family thing. I have to I have to bring it. I have to bring it. My mother used to. Get, she she gave me an essay, about about the, the, seven cow wife. You know what I'm talking about. You ever parents are famous. I'll I'll look it up. Uh, I'll look it up shortly. Um, so they said to Rishon Mitzvah, "What are you offering for your daughter?" So he says, "I'm offering twenty six cows. Whoever marries my daughter is going to get twenty six cows." Okay, Esrim v'sheish pares. And in Yiddish he said, twenty-six cows. So he said, Rabshlaima, you don't own a farm, you don't own a cow, what are you talking about? You don't have twenty-six cows. So he says, You're right. I don't own any cows. He says, You know something? I don't own anything. I don't have anything. But what I do have is Kila Ilam Chastai. Says twenty six times, Now in Yiddish, a cow is a ku. 
or in, if you say it with Hasidish, it's a, it's a key. A cow is a key. So he says, I have 26 keys, 26 cows, or 26 kila ilam chastes. He says, all I know is if this young man is willing to join my family, Sir Panjshan takes care of us. That's all I know. Well, I don't have cows. I don't have that. But I have twenty kilo ilum We just know that whatever the Rebbeinu gives us, we're good. It'll work. Ultimately, it's, it's going to work. And that—that's what he's going to gain by joining our. This type of family we are. And that's how this should have happened. That's how this should have happened. He told, he, you know, he told us something. Like, I, I could just tell you that we live with the Rebbeinu Shalom, and then the rest is up to you. I'm not. You know, I'm not putting. Uh, I'm not putting anything here. Uh, I'm, I'm. It's you want from me? It's going to come from. It's going to come from Akadish Baruch. So that's the uh, the carbon tide yakri venu. So that's what the Chazanish was saying to was saying to this uh, matchmaker. He's saying if she feels like it, it's a life of poverty and a life of of difficulty, so then it's not it's not for us. How does this connecting to our to our pasuk over here of tzav and, and have alacrity? So the medrash, the medrash in, in our parsha, the medrash says an incredible thing. It's all the story of of King Agrippas, King Agrippas. Um, was a grandson of King Herod, who was appointed king of Klal Yisrael by the Roman Empire. Okay, so he was one of the kings who were who was appointed by the Roman Empire, and Agrippas wanted to bring a thousand sacrifices in one day. He wanted a thousand sacrifices on his behalf to be brought in one day, and he told the Kohen God, "I'll make sure I'm reserving the appointments of." the sacrifices throughout the day. No, until my thousand are done, nobody else's sacrifices could be brought. Okay. So Kohen Gadol said, fine. You know what's going to do? Argue, argue with the king? Couldn't argue with the king. As the Kohen Gadol is going through the, the uh, carbonus of Agrippas, a poor man walked in and he said, you know, uh, he, he brought two turtle doves. And this man showed up every day with two turtle doves. Every day he showed up the base of English with two uh, with two turtle doves and he to give them as a sacrifice. And he says to the Kayan, I want you to be macrobit for me. And the Kayan Godel said, I apologize, we're gonna have to wait. It's gonna be a while. <laughs> Just starting with King Agrippas, and uh, I can't do it for you because the king ordered me no other sacrifices on this day, possibly nothing at all, or if there's time, maybe later, but not now. And the, this poor man says the message was very down, and he says to the Kayan Godel, but you know that every day I catch four turtle doves. Two of them I use to feed my family. Two of them I use to bring on the Mizbeach and build a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And if, if I feel, if I don't bring my two turtle doves, Hashem might not bless me with my four usual turtle doves tomorrow. I need to bring two today, so I have four tomorrow. Very important lesson, right? You do for Hashem today, Hashem takes care of you tomorrow. Okay. And today too. But, all right. So the Kangala was moved by the sincere uh, request of the poor man, and he took these two pigeons and brought them in the middle of Agrippas's sacrifices. Okay. No major drama happened afterwards. Not like Agrippas found out and off with your head. No, it's fine. Okay. Agrippas didn't even know any kid. The problem was Hashem told Agrippas. Agrippas that night had a dream, he had a vision, uh, an element of prophecy. And he was told in the dream that you should know that the two turtle doves that this poor guy brought today was greater than your thousand. That's what, the, that's what he was told in a dream. And he was, at the time, he didn't know about the two turtle doves. He was very disturbed. 
And in the morning he summoned the Kohen Gadol and he said, what happened? And the Kohen Gadol told him, this guy came and I apologize, but he was sincere and I felt bad. And if you would have seen the expression on this guy's face, you also would have agreed that it was impossible to refuse him. Now, Gripas wasn't like a monster. He wasn't one of these wicked people. Okay, so he's, he says, that's why, that's why I did it. And Agripas tells him, he says, you did the right thing, and halavai, it should be that other priests that work under you and further kohanim gedolim should be just as kind as you are. That's what, that's what Agripas told him. But what we see from the Medrash is there's two types of sacrifices, and this is something we focused on last week as well. There's a smaller sacrifice that's complete. There's two turtle doves. It's with complete faith that my parnasa is dependent on this. This is, this is something that I, I, I so desperately need in my relationship with Hashem. And then there's a sacrifice which could be larger in scale. It could be a thousand sacrifices, but it doesn't show the same element of dependency. So now how do we translate this to us? How does this translate to, to our personal lives? Because the same way there's two mindsets for offerings, there's two mindsets for our offering, for who we are here, without the actual carbonus. There, there are many of us who we may not have a lot of Torah, we may not have a lot of knowledge of everything, and we may view ourselves like we're poor in specific areas, but we're sincere. We're sincere. And Hashem says, that, that's what I'm looking for, Right? We sell ourselves short. We're like, I don't know enough. I don't know as much. I don't, and therefore I can't do it. You can only do what you know. And I made this mistake. And I would have known that on Shabbos I shouldn't be, you know. I only found out 10 years later there's a specific, this happened to me. That's why I'm mentioning this idea. And somebody was in my house and he told me that the garbage bags that we're using is Chil Shabbos. And I was like, what are you talking about? Chil Shabbos? And he said, yeah, he heard from, from uh, his Rav in Muncie who went to inspect the Glad factory that the 13-gallon glad size bags are purposely made and perforated in a certain way and it's not just there to make it so, but it's, they, they purposely want it close when you open the 13-gallon bags from the Glad brand. It, 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 you know, it's undoing something that was purposely this. If it wasn't done on purpose, then you're allowed to open those bags. It's fine. If it is done, it depends how they do it. I want to do it. So I was like, really? I never, how am I supposed to? I just never did the reason. But Shkayach for telling me. This is great. Okay, so now I know. I'll use, oh, I don't know, Kirkland. Until somebody tells me Kirkland's a problem. Or, or I, don't, I don't know. Or maybe that is fine. I don't know. But, okay, so thank you. I, I can't know everything. But I do what I know. Just be sincere. The same way with the Karbanis. We're saying, oh, it's a simple thing. And, and the simple things are what Manshalom wants. We have to learn this. This is how Hashem wants us to live. It's not like... What, what this medrash is telling me, and what this and what the pasuk is is telling me with how to bring a carbon, it's Hashem is saying, if you're sincere, that's my carbon. My carbon is your sincerity. Stop being, stop kicking yourself about that. You don't know more. If you want to know more, you should study more. We should know more, but we're not expected to know what we don't know. Take this smaller quote-unquote carbon and be sincere with it. And Hashem's going to appreciate that over somebody who has the mindset of, oh, I have a lot of Torah. It's like we spoke about in Shul recently. There's nothing that, and this is only a litvak. Somebody came over to me afterwards. What we shared in Shul was that there's a chassid, we shared this here as well. Right? There's nothing as broken as a whole heart. 
Yeah? So somebody told me afterwards, they said, you know, only a Litva could say that. Only a Litva could say that. You know why? Because a Chassidish person wouldn't even know what a whole heart is. Only a Litva could know, like, what, what's a whole heart? <laughs> you know, to be like, oh, like, I know how to serve Hashem. You know, he's like, eh, us Chassidim, we know. Okay, it's cute. It's a cute little uh, idea. But it's, uh, the Torah is my connection to success, whether I'm, whether I'm uh, wealthy in this area or not. And this is really the, the Avaida, that, the main thrust, like we discussed last week, and we're focusing on this week as well, to, um, to uh, what the message of carbonis of the sacrifices are. Right. Let's get another idea here, and also on the same pasuk. So we had Tzavis Aaron Bezbanov command Aaron and his children with alacrity Lamar to say Zeis Tarasel this is the law of the of the Ola. The Ben asks why we're focusing on the Ola sacrifice first. Okay, so you could say it's a basic question. Something has to be first. What do you want? The sin offering first. The guilt offering for the Thanksgiving offering. What do you want? Like, what else do you want? So the Ben actually strengthens his Shaila. A Shaila means. By the way, just in, in this is good uh, Torah terms, just a little tangent, but very important. Sometimes you'll hear the word kasha. You have a kasha. What's a kasha? A question. What's a shaila? A question. What's the difference between a kasha and a shaila? So the difference between a kasha and a shaila is that a kasha is a challenge. A shaila is a request for information. Okay? So if I'm requesting information, that's a shaila. If I have a kasha, that means I'm challenging what you're saying. Sometimes people use the expression of a stira. I want to ask you a stira. That means that I'm not only challenging you, I'm challenging you within a contradiction of your own words. It's a stronger question. Okay? So you'll hear, it really, since people aren't so familiar with what the words are meant to be used for, it could be used for many things, but in our own terms, it's good to know. A shaila means I'm requesting information. It's a question, curiosity. And uh, Kasha is, um, I'm challenging you. Uh, I'm challenging you with this. Um, but be it as it may, so the Ben continues his Shaila. I think there's more of a Shaila than a Kasha. That's what I'm saying. It's like a curiosity. Like, why are you mentioning Ayla uh, first? He's, and he asked it by saying, in general, we find that in Yiddishkeit, we're, we're more, we give more priority to action than thought. A carbon Ola is brought by thought. I thought, you know, I, I'm, in my mind, I decided to bring a carbon Ola. So it was a choice. As opposed to a guilt offering, a sin offering came through an action. So maybe something that's, that's actively brought and must be brought without like choice, it's going to be more common because it's like, hey, oh, I just sinned unintentionally. Okay, now i got to bring that. Maybe focus on those first. So the Ben Ishchai says something interesting. He says that Aaron was the first to bring the carbon Ola and when he brought this sacrifice, get ready, Leitzanei Adar, always get ready for the scorners, no matter what you do. Leitzanei Adar, Aaron's going to bring sacrifices. Do you know, do you know the first sacrifice that Aaron ever brought? The golden calf. Huh? The first animal that Aaron got involved in, which is why we have the Mishkan, you know, yeah, the, the ego, the calf. What are you going to say? Aaron was forced into that. He didn't actually serve the calf, but he's held a little accountable for letting it happen. So if you're going to say there it was against his will, 
Here's the problem. The Pesach says, Vayar Aaron, Aaron saw what was happening. Vayiven Mizbeach Lefanov. Aaron built the altar for the golden calf. He built it. That was his own choice. Aaron built the altar. So, the Leitzanei Adar, the, the, the scorners, those mocking, they said, oh, who's Aaron? He's, he's going to bring the Ola sacrifice. He's going to bring any sacrifice. You know, he's, he built the altar for the Egel Azov. You can always find a problem with anybody. So, says the Ben Ishchai like this. The Ben Ishchai says, he, brings, he gives you a parable. He says, there was a group of bandits waiting for their first uh, carbon. Yeah, waiting for the first uh, person to, to get rid of. And lo and behold, the prince is coming down the road. Big bait over here, right? He's got a, this is a big catch. So the head of the bandit says like this, he tells everybody, he says, guys, this is easy peasy. You guys, you don't need to be involved in this sin. You get out of here. You go. I'll, I'll, me and the prince, I got. <laughs> I'll, I'll bring you all the money. We'll, we'll split it, and I'll, you know, we'll, we'll divide everything, and I'll get rid of him. So the king catches the the headband that gets to the prince, and steals everything from him, and tells the prince, "You better head off to the hills fast. You get out of here before I want people to think you're dead." Okay, and he he leaves the prince alive when he told everybody that he was uh, he was going to kill. Prince comes back, snitches to his father. And the king ultimately finds the head bandit and he paskins him for Misa. He paskins him for death. Uh, they're about to, uh, they're taking him to be killed. They start chaining his legs. And as they're chaining his legs, the head bandit says, Oh, my heart, my heart. The king's like, what do you mean your heart? You mean your, your feet? Your feet should be hurting at this point. What do, what do you, why your heart? So the bandit says, he says, no, my, my, my heart's hurting me. Because I feel so bad that I let your son stay alive. Such a dumb move on my part. I let him stay alive and then he was able to go back and tell you. How foolish of me. I should have just taken the money and chopped his head off. And then you would never would have known. I, it bothers me to no end that, I, that, uh, that uh, I left him alive. But you know something, my dear king? You know why I left him alive? Because I like you. Because I like you. And my job is to be a bandit. And I would have gotten in trouble if I didn't take the stuff. But I left your son alive. I did what I had to do under the circumstances that I was in. That's it. I know their option. What am I going to do? I can't leave him. I'll be kicked out of my uh, bandit community. I'll get killed. There's a big catch. You don't bring the money back, you get in trouble. So what was I left to do? I had to take the money, but I, I left your son alive. So the king heard this and he says, okay, I'll let your life be spared. Fine. Says the Benish Chai. He says, it was this type of psychology that was involved with Aaron and the golden calf. He says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu knew that Aaron built the Mizbeach for the following reason. Where Aaron was doing by sending away, it's the same as sending away the other bandits. He says, if everybody builds the altar for the golden calf together, it would have taken an hour. So you know what Aaron did? He says, guys, no, I can't stop. It. I'll build it. This way, he says, I'll build it. Tomorrow, tomorrow, will machar, will, uh, will offer it. Chag Lashem, machar. But give me time. I got this. Like, I'm a, as if, 
I'm the lead bandit over here. And the truth was that the next morning, the Erev Rav, a small group of Jews, but the Erev Rav got up by Ashkibu Mimacharas. They got up. You know what ended up happening? Not all of Klal was able to do the Avera because of Aaron stalling what happened by, by the Chet Egel. And therefore, therefore this is beautiful. Says the Benishchai, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who knows all the thoughts of a person, he knows the psychology and the thoughts that Aaron was using to hold off the sin of the calf. It was that that allowed Yidin to not partake in the Cheta Egel. And it's because of his thoughts why he's the one who's worthy to bring first the carbon that comes through a thought. That's what an Ola is. It's the mindset. Sometimes it's not plan A what the mindset is. Sometimes we have to serve Hashem in a situation where we weren't expecting. And somebody, whether it's somebody else's uh, thing that they put on us, or whether it's our own thing, or you know, we weren't expecting to have to serve Hashem from this place or in, in, in that specific way. But Hashem knows our thoughts. Hashem knows our thoughts. So Aaron Akayim, when he's being commanded to go and perform the Avaidah, Maisha tells Aaron, Tzav, he's commanding him, he's do- doing it with alacrity, and he's letting him know, don't worry what everybody's saying about you. Don't worry about, oh, you're not worthy because you built the altar for the Chet Egel. God knows your thoughts. And you know the first animal that you're going to bring is the carbon oil. Because the carbon oil is the one that comes about through the, the person's machshavas. And that's, that's ultimately what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants from us.